Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Sort of Homecoming podcast. My name is Megan, and I am your host and author. And thank you so much for tuning in. This is my story. And where we left off with um, surviving Chappaqua Part 1, I had um, gotten uh, sick. Um, anorexia had taken a hold of me. And I don't, I don't think I expressed just how devastating this was and how, how much it affected me. I, I wanted to kind of paint a picture of how my body image and how I felt about food was before anorexia nervosa, um, trying to, cause it's just a profound, a devastating change, uh, a complete 180. Um, so when I was younger, um, I was athletic and I was built strong and I was really proud of my build. I liked being strong. I liked being stocky. Um, <clears throat> I had, uh, you know, this reputation on the swim team as being really strong and powerful, even though I was just 10 or 11. Um, and so, yeah, I just, and I, it didn't upset me. I was really, really happy to have this kind of image and it felt really good. My, um, my sister is 14 months and four days older than me and she's very lean and long ballerina. And I'm kind of this growing up this shorter stocky, I still did ballet, but I kind of looked like a Earl Campbell in a tutu. I think I've said that before, but, um, but I didn't mind, you know, I, I liked, I liked my build. I liked feeling strong. Um, I didn't get hand-me-downs from my sister, Jen, even though she was immediately older than me. I got hand-me-downs from my brother, Toby. Um, and I liked it. I liked wearing his corduroys. I thought it was cool. So um, that was my mindset until it wasn't. And when anorexia, nervosa, kind of that perfect storm of the three things happened, my coach said I'd cut through the water if I was leaner, lighter. Um, I had this aching, horrible nagging suspicion that my uh, dad was cheating on my mom. I, and it was like grounded in nothing except this sand dollar um, ornament that he bought in. And it was just a feeling and he bought an Epcot. Um, it turns out that absolutely was for his mistress who turned out to be turned into his wife later. Um, so whatever. And um, the PBS special where the girl threw herself off the bridge and, you know, she had found God. And so anyway, it was just like the this perfect storm of um, threads came together and I stopped eating. And really, as you know, if you've listened to the previous episodes, um, I took it to such an extreme and I was no I wasn't in control at all. It was it had total uh control over me. So my first day in the hospital was completely medical. It was, um, you know, my mom's maternal instincts kicked in. I got in the hospital. It was a really good thing. My, I had cardiac arrhythmias and um, my electrolytes were screwed up. And yeah, so I was hooked up to a bunch of tubes and they got me medically sound, you know. And, you know, I, I, don't remember food being, in, I think I just had to eat then, um, no therapy involved whatsoever, just eat so I could get out of the hospital. And so my mindset was, of course, I'll eat and I'll get out of the hospital and then I'll stop eating because God knows I can do that. And yeah, so that's kind of my first stay was just medical. And then as soon as I got home, immediately, I felt like 
completely out of control and scared. I remember this feeling of being so scared, petrified. I don't even know what I was so scared of, but I just felt terrified. And I told my parents that I need to go back in the hospital. I actually said that. And, you know, they agreed. And then that's when my like extended stay at Northern Westchester started. And yeah, so that was um, when my quote unquote therapy began. And so I had, you know, all the tubes came out. I had to be responsible for my own weight gain. And at this point, they stripped me of all possessions, even blankets. And I wasn't allowed to see, I had no visitors, not my parents, nobody. And I had to earn via in half pound increments privileges like a blanket. Now, I was so skinny. I was fuzzy. I was covered in like fur because I had lost. I was so skinny and I was freezing all the time and hospitals are cold. And so I just remember being so like just shivering all the time, feeling absolutely freezing and scared and alone. And, you know, I'm 11 years old, never really been away from home. And, you know, this is my reality. So, but I was strong in my anorexia and I I put up a good fight at first, but then I just had to, I had to, I had to gain some weight. (coughs) Excuse me. And I did. So I gained weight in the half pound increments and it was terrifying. And um, I eventually got a blanket and I eventually got, um, you know, the privilege of a sweatshirt and I loved stuffed animals. Uh, and so I got it, was able to have a stuffed animal. This was a really horrible time. My best friend who I developed a, fr- a friendship with um, was um, Hanako and she, her parents, her family was from Japan and her dad was with IBM. And at this point, um, we had become really close. I mean, I was still friends with Robin and Sandy, but uh, from my road, but this girl was from school and she was a beautiful piano player and she, her family moved back to Japan while I was in the hospital and they wouldn't let me see her. And that was really horrible. And, um, you know, eventually I got, I got, privileges. I got to have my family come. I had brothers and sisters. I got books and blankets and TV. Um, so, you know, this was, and I, it was, what I need to stress is I wasn't receiving therapy per se. I was just told I had to eat. I, none of the reasons why I was starving myself and, and all, it wasn't really being looked into. I, you know, I wasn't in a psychiatric ward. I was in the peds. And, you know, I had a, an absolutely hideous uh, psychiatrist and his methods were horrible and he was wrong. And I know that um, in today's world, protective oversights exist and his kind of therapy would not fly. Um, and, you know, being alone with a therapist or a psychiatrist would would not happen today. But unfortunately, it happened then. And he he took advantage of the situation and it was horrible. And I, you know, I just think that the kind of therapy that I received was obviously not effective because it took me 35 years to um, free myself of these this addiction, this this um, disordered thinking, this order disordered feelings body dysmorphia. I mean, I've had all of the the symptoms. I mean, I may have not looked super skinny my whole life, 
but I've had all of the internal mechanisms and horrors of having an eating disorder, having anorexia nervosa what my you know, for 35 years. So my my point is that this tough love therapy that I received did not uh, work and it was not effective. And truly my only motivations for like getting out of the hospital were that I didn't want to have to go to this horrible psychiatrist anymore. And I wanted to avoid him at all costs. It wasn't like I was cured or even better. Um, so that, you know, I, my, my hope is that this, these kind of practices are not happening today. Um, and they're not accepted as therapy for people with, um, eating disorders or disordered thinking around food, um, body dysmorphia. Um, I, I have done some research for sure. Um, and I think that the most incredible model that I've come across is Alsana that, that, and you can call, they have an app to determine, you know, whether or not you have an eating disorder and what category it falls into and their intake process is brilliant and their methods are, are not this completely not this way. So, um, hopefully the, the, I am a, a victim of one, I'm seeing that I wasn't part of a therapy and I wasn't in a program and it was kind of like my parents and I love my parents, but I think that the idea was that they, you know, at first they weren't convinced that I was anorexic and they, and I had medical issues and then there were stigmas and, um, you know, we lived in this, this town that was very judgy and still is and extremely hard to live in and especially for an empath, especially for a sensitive. And I think they just wanted to spare me all themselves, my six brothers and sisters and me, the, um, the stigma of being, you know, having a mentally ill child. Um, so it was better to just keep me in peds in the medical unit and try and get me fattened up. And, um, yeah, in hindsight, this, this was not, uh, this did not set me up for success <laughs> to say the least. Um, but the hospital was such a confusing time too, because I, um, got to, I got all this attention. I mean, it's so complex. I mean, my mom would come every day and visit me and bring me presents and treats and, um, and and my dad would come every day on his way home from work and my parents never came together. And I actually asked my dad about that one time and he's like, oh, you know, it's not convenient. I'm on my way from the office. Um, and, you know, I think there was absolutely more going on there, but um, well, obviously there was, they ended up getting divorced and my worst fears were actualized. So um, yeah. But then my brothers and sisters would come and visit me and we would have like fun wheelchair races. And, you know, I, I felt so special. And as this kid that just wanted attention, just needed more attention than, than other people, I was getting all this attention and it would, you know, and I loved it. Um, and all I had to do is be in the hospital for it though. So that was really confusing. And I didn't, didn't love obviously being in the hospital, um, I had beautiful, beautiful people in the hospital that took care of me. My mom away from home, Bridget and Daisy, 
they were night nurses, uh, 11 to seven and Bridget would bring in rice and we would sit and we would actually, she would ask me why I didn't eat. And I mean, she was like one of the few people. And I would just say, I don't know. I just knew, I just needed some more attention. I was needed. And it's not like my parents neglected me. Absolutely not. I was not neglected, but for whatever reason, the love I was receiving was not penetrating me. It was not, it was not fulfilling me. And, you know, I just needed more or I needed different and I was not getting it. So the starving myself gave me, got me this attention, even though it was, you know, kind of terrible attention, but it was still attention. And I thrive. I mean, I just loved it. And so Daisy and uh, Bridget and Karen, there were two Karens, nurses that were just awesome. Um, And yeah, so I had this, this, I felt so loved and I felt taken care of and I felt um, seen, I guess is kind of the vernacular of today. And, you know, so I was gaining weight because I, I also hated my uh, psychiatrist and I knew I needed to get out of the hospital. So I'm gaining the weight. But I also really love being in the hospital because I'm getting all this attention. So, you know, even um, my my principal of my grammar school brought me an Apple to eat. And this is like 1985. So nobody had computers. And I got my own computer. And that was so cool. And I had Kathy Quinn, my tutor, who came in every day. And I was actually really thriving in that academic environment as, as someone who's so dyslexic. Um, the one-on-one schooling was incredible. And I ended up staying on task the whole year and you know not having to stay back. Um, so that was really cool. I loved working with Kathy Quinn. I loved having my Apple IIe. I had a TV. I watched a lot of horror films. Um, I stayed up all night watching horror films all the time. Um, That was something I couldn't do at home either. I had this incredible activities director, Tony, and she was so cool. She would come and she would actually sneak me over to West, which was the psychiatric section. And I would, um, that was really fun for me. I felt like I was uh, with my peeps and, you know, I, my will to be weird has always been strong. My flag has flown high and I've always felt different. And over at, at West, I didn't necessarily feel different. I was a lot younger, but I've been a lot younger than my my milieu and my group pretty much my whole life. So um, that was not unique for me. And Tony actually used to take me to the Chinese restaurant across the street from Northern Westchester. And that was really fun too. It was just the two of us. And we'd have General Chow's chicken and talk and it was just a a really another really special one-on-one and those are things that I didn't really experience outside of the hospital being from this you know huge family and I love my brothers and sisters don't get me wrong and I did get attention it just was not for some reason the right kind of attention and it just didn't penetrate me so anyway I was in the hospital for about I think it was about four and a half months and my family was, my family vacationed and took incredible trips. I, I know in, you know, I realized later on that, um, that how unbelievably privileged I was raised, um, that taking ski trips in the winter, you know, to Vail or Beaver Creek or, um, Salt Lake, uh, Aspen, 
Sun Valley, Idaho. I mean, you name it. We we took incredible trips. And in the summer, we were in Southampton or Chappaqua. So, I mean, I saying this out loud, it's like, ugh, oh my gosh, such privilege. But I really, you know, it was just our life. And so my family was was going to take a trip to Bermuda. This is a very special place because that's where my parents went on their honeymoon. And they had been back many times with the kids. We had never gone as a family. So, yeah, so my family was planning this big trip to Bermuda. And it was my goal to be out of the hospital, to be able to go with my family. And I did not make the goal. I was not, I did not gain enough weight. And actually, if I had gotten to the weight, I have to stay at that weight for at least uh, two weeks stable. So um, I missed it. I blew it. I didn't get to go. I also completely lied and said that I was allowed to talk to my mom. You know, I told my mom I could talk to her once a day while they were in Bermuda. And I was supposed to have absolutely no contact. Um, And of course, my psychiatrist found out about it and I was punished, of course, and, you know, whatever. And so that was, that was a big setback, um, for, for me. And it was devastating, but, um, eventually uh, after about six months, I did get out of, I did reach my discharge weight of, uh, 76 pounds and I got out of the hospital and I managed, um, to stay out of the hospital, which was, incredible, um, really incredible considering what was to go down in the, the next year and a half and, and years to follow. Um, so yeah, yeah. So I got, I did get out of the hospital. I did gain the weight. Um, I drank a lot of insurers and did a lot of secret sit-ups. That's for sure. I mean, I would I remember just being in my room doing push-ups and sit-ups and, and it, the hospital floors are horrible. So I put and once I did get a blanket, put a blanket down and yeah, so I was still like trying to burn as many calories as possible, but, um, but I did gain the weight. And then, um, so after the hospital, I had to, um, go to summer school and my parents found this awesome school, Eagle Hill, um, in Greenwich, Connecticut, again, an amazing privilege to be able to attend the school. It's, it's for, um, learning disabled people. And it, it, it really is a specialized program that allows you to excel, you know, it gives you the tools to excel in life. And so I was there for um, summer school, but before seventh grade, and it was challenging and unique, but um, it was really uh, an incredible school. And it was, it was an incredible um, introduction back to the world you know, I had been living in the hospital for the six months before. And I just remember how hard it was for me not to compare my body to every single body I saw. And I felt like, oh my gosh, everybody's going to think I'm such a freak. They're going to think I'm checking them out. Like I, but I could not control it. I would look at a girl, if it was a girl who was taller or shorter or younger or older, it didn't matter. And I would just scan their body and I'd wonder if they were thinner than me and, oh my gosh, they're thinner than me and they don't even have anorexia. And, you know, it was just a terrible mind. You know, my mind was not free from any of this disordered thinking whatsoever. It was still rampant. And I was obsessed with counting calories and I was obsessed with, restriction. I mean, just how any way I could restrict anything in my life was, was how I flowed, you know, and of course, um, 
anyway, so I'm at Eagle Hill and it's going well. And I, I, then I'm, I'm planning on attending Eagle Hill for sixth and seventh grade, but I met somebody who went to the master school. And, um, so I asked my mom if I could just take a tour of the master school, spend a day there because they had a theater program and this girl really loved her school and she thought it was fun. And, um, Eagle Hill was not fun. It was rigorous. And, um, yeah. So anyway, I convinced them, you know, my parents, I could go check out masters and I absolutely fell in love with it. They had a dance program and a theater program and, a Glee club. And it just felt really, really great. And my, you know, although I had been you know, a swimmer, I have been dancing my whole life. I mean, since I was about three. So yeah. Um, and you know, the, the general consensus was that I should do Eagle Hill for at least one or two years. And then I could go to master's maybe for high school. And I said, no, please let me, let me come to master's now. Um, I don't care if I don't get all A's. I, I accept it. They were not equipped at all for people with dyslexia. Um, they had one lady who came in a couple hours a week. That was their equivalent of a resource. Um, but, you know, I ended up staying there six years and it was the best, the best. Um, uh, yeah. So that, that was awesome. And I think I am going to just cut this one off here. Um, so in the next one, I'll talk about uh, the master school. And I think that's where my obsession with sugar and um, sugar, caffeine and cigarettes really takes a bad hold of me. But um, yeah, I'm uh, I'm so I'm so glad you're listening. I really appreciate it. Uh, if you're struggling with an eating disorder, Alsana is the, I mean, this is the place for holistic therapy, holistic recovery. And um, they have an app and you can take their, your, their test or, and figure out, you know, if it's the right match for you. Um, I'm just looking up their number right now. I have it. Um, Elsana is 866-652-3147. And reach out to me. I'm at meg.bufton on Instagram. DM me. You can email me, Megan with an H M E G H A N, Bufton, B U F T O N, at gmail.com. Uh, reach out. Just, you are not alone. There is so much help for you. And, and I just know that if you have the, you know, just you have to have the courage to be willing to relinquish your relationship with your eating disorder. You know, I think that when you, when you can surrender to win here, uh, it really will, um, you're just going to feel so much better, but you just have to have the courage to do it. All right. And I believe in you. I know you can do it. There is good recovery, true recovery and freedom from disorder thinking around food and eating disorders and anorexia. All oh, there is freedom for you and relief just, have the courage. You're brave. You can do it. Reach out, get help, and know that there's such a beautiful, full life waiting for you on the other side. So anyway, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you. I know your time is valuable. And let's get together in the next episode where we'll talk about the master school. And yeah, we're just going to put a pin in it there. Thanks so much. Namaste.